Hello, and welcome to Wrong Side of 30, where a bunch of early 30-somethings lament about their depressing lives after crossing that terrible threshold. My name is Brandon. Who else do we got here? You have Keisha. That, that was a terrible intro. <laughs> really, I, I'm sorry for my friend Keisha. She's the worst. What I is, thought you meant my entrance. Oh, like, come on, man. That? That's a lot of energy. Yeah, wait, you wait, have wait, like wait. weird Euro trash music. Yeah, what was that like song? like a bad Mortal Kombat movie. We didn't approve that You didn't that notice? Music. That's been in the intro. Wait, what was the, what's the name of that stock file that you just played as our intro music? Let's see. The one I use for Keisha's Five Things is called Do the Funky. <laughs> Billy's is Dark Trap Beat. Um, and the intro music is called Rock the Party, 130 beats per minute. I PM. like that. Name. Okay. Okay. Not bad. We do need like a cool intro thing. That was the cool intro music. Oh, I thought we were just trying things out. I didn't know that was the No, that's it. It sounds good in my headphones. We'll see. We'll see what my yeah. mom says. We'll see what Grace thinks of it. <laughs> Wait, what? God damn it. What? <laughs> no, remember her mother doesn't think I'm funny. Well, she's got to be a pretty smart lady. I cannot believe we are on episode seven. That is insane. I can't believe we got to this point. I thought we would have quit way before now. Well, I thought we were going to quit last year when we ended up never releasing any of the episodes. That we <laughs> we kind of quit. <laughs> I know. What a mistake. Because it wasn't a recession pandemic last That's year. That's true. We would have had no content. <laughs> we would have had tons of uh, sponsorships and we wouldn't have to resort to Cameo. By the way, what is our Cameo dollar tracker at? <laughs> Zero. Wow. I don't think people are responding to the cameo. So I think last week we teased a new hat, and I can't remember what it was. So I might work on just making that a reality. Was it the hand hobbies one? That's it. They, oh, a hand hobbies glove. Actually, I do not think many people <laughs> oh, are going to yeah. buy a hand hobbies glove. The glove. I was trying to think what else we could sell. Masks. How about masks? We should. We should sell some masks. Yeah. People wear your damn masks. Do you, who knows how to make masks? I don't know. I can make a mask. So we're in Texas right now, which is one of the big hot spots about Texas, Florida, Arizona, and some of the other, some southern, uh, southeastern states in the U.S. are all big COVID peaks right now. Hospitals are filling up and people just refuse to wear the damn mask. I mean, like I was, I was totally like winter is coming guy, you know, a few months ago, but then there've been so many encouraging studies that show that masks do make a huge difference. And it's insane how we could duck all of these economic fallouts if we just wore fucking masks. Did, without the research, did you not think that masks were effective? Well, hold on. I actually want to ask a follow-up question to Keisha. Who do you think the masks are for? The people that are sick, right? Kind of, yeah. Because isn't it like the those disposable ones? It's like one side is black or blue, the other side's white, and one is supposed to like block stuff coming in, and the other one is blocking stuff going out. No, the common thing I noticed is everybody's like, well, I don't think it's real, so I'm not wearing a mask. And it's like, well, you realize it's to protect other people away from you from the risk of you having it and not knowing you have it, right? And mm -hmm. people are like, oh. Yeah. Which means I don't think they breakers. care even then. I think, I think they just, like, I think the best example I've shown, it's like, you know, pissing. Yeah. If you have pants on, you're not going to piss on somebody else. That's true. If you have pants on and they don't have pants and they're pissing, they're going to piss all over you. You know, I went to uh, Dallas for Father's Day last weekend and went to a barbecue my sister and brother-in-law hosted with 20 other people. And I was the only one who 
walked in with a mask. Oh, dude, there was a, and they're all like seventy. Was your family in the news? There was a a family from uh, DFW that had a get together, and all seventeen of them are now testing positive. No, or my family hasn't called me yet. <laughs> they're like, hi. Hi, Billy. <laughs> if you're asking why people aren't wearing masks, I have an answer for you. Go. There was a uh, an open meeting down in Florida somewhere, and a bunch of citizens came in and explained why they're so against wearing masks. And we'll have that for you right now. You literally cannot mandate somebody to wear a mask knowing that that mask is killing people. It literally is mask killing is not, people. Nope, and literally not killing. People, we the people are waking up and we know what citizens are. Uh, you can't just say we the people are and expect something happening. to happen. Can't be quoted. Okay? <laughs> no, and right. every single one of you. You're not Thomas Jefferson. Calm down. Hold on. I want to hear this. Are it's going to, to be arrested. And you, doctor, are going to be arrested for crimes against humanity. You're removing our freedoms and stomping on our constitutional rights by these communist dictatorship orders or laws you want to mandate. See that flag? I would die for that flag. Okay. The constitution that you are supposed to uphold, I would die for that. No one's asking None of you, are holding you to that do up. that. You don't care about we the people because you already made your decision before you listened to anybody. Okay. And That's true. And they want true. to throw God's wonderful breathing system out the door. You're all turning your backs on it. You preach pseudoscience and safety. Does anyone care about preserving the liberty of the people who pay your salaries? That lady's unemployed. She pays no one's salary, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. I have no idea who that is. Uh, so thank you, Florida, for being Florida. I wonder if I can use we the people in like more conversations, like at work. You know, when we're going through feedback on creative, it's like, well. Oh, especially if you're trying to defend a position. <laughs> we the people think... <laughs> You know, there's a tribe called Quest Song called right. We the People. It's actually really good, and they used it more appropriately than that dipshit. So why why does why do Americans hate scientists? Well, they hate they like hate a... pseudo scientists. If you listen carefully, <laughs> <laughs> like what is a skeptic? Is it? I I honestly just think it's people being self conscious about the things they don't know. Like I try to be super honest with myself and everyone else about all the things I know nothing about, and it's a lot. Most people don't know shit about 99% of things in life. If you're lucky, you know a decent amount about like 1% mm -hmm. of everything in the world. And instead of just acknowledging, yeah, I don't know shit about thermal dynamics, you know, people just want to go on YouTube, watch a video, and then all of a sudden think they're an expert. I think the scientists, for, for the, the majority of the... <laughs> the audience for them to be like accepted they kind of have to like be cool about it you know it's like they're too science sciencey and so people are just not interested but if they did some cool video of like yo what's up fellow young people <laughs> that's, no it's not gonna work that's the most uncredible way of presenting science <laughs> they like they like roll into the screen on a skateboard with a backwards hat on I'm and they're like whoa didn't see you, you there do you think that our generation responds to science a little bit better because of Bill Nye and I don't know how, the, how many of you guys remember uh, Beatman from Beatman's World? Not actually sure if he was a scientist or not. But. Or Beaker from the Muppets. He made me trust scientists a little bit more. 
What about Beaker made you trust? <laughs> He's not a real scientist. <laughs> he was. If he was, he, he was had the, the worst coat. scientist ever. He, he always had the white on coat. fire. Oh my God, we're idiots. Oh. Why would people listen to us about science? <laughs> no, all we're saying is we don't know shit about science, but we trust the people who do. And I think that is a message that we should be sending and people should listen to us. See, the people that did the thing in Florida feel the opposite way. They trust religion and think that science is fake. So, Brandon, it says remaining meeting time is nine minutes. I'm working on it. You don't have to call it out in the thing. It's very jarring to see the caution, like the exclamation point and then a countdown. It's going to be a short, short, short podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move, before we move on, um, I want to do a new segment at the top of the show, and it's basically the week's sweetest social media trend. And uh, this week in our inaugural edition, it is going to be the reaction to the new Texas Rangers ballpark. They posted a drone video where you could see the entire thing. You're not just looking at like one entrance. And it is a fucking disaster. <laughs> Billy, what were your favorite tweets or uh, posts so, about it? So I'm a big Rangers fan. I grew up going there uh, at the ballpark of Arlington. And I was actually pretty excited about the stadium because I've sat in you know games in mid-July where it's 106 degrees outside. And it's just absolutely terrible. And you burn your ass. Like, literally, you just burn your ass. By sitting down, you'd buy, like, a $4 bottle of water and pour it all over the seat and sit down and get your ass wet so that you could stand it. The, place, the, the, the one that looked made it look like a fucking Home Depot was amazing. And the one that's literally just, like, a warehouse or a shed or, like, some something you would see on, like, a farm road where it's, uh, if you imagine the movie Twister, the, the structure that just gets ripped apart and cows flying around. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, welcome to the new ballpark. That was, that was pretty solid. My favorite, though, was the one that showed the original rendering with a translucent cover. And then the current, the actual real version where it just looks like a barn. And then the caption was Instagram versus real life. So this is new? This is a new stadium? Yeah, it was like $2 billion. The city of Arlington keeps getting tricked into paying for new stadiums. Yeah, because their other stadium is was not old. It was like maybe, what, 20 years old? It opened in like 94. Oh, no. I think it opened in 94. This looks like a Walmart warehouse. Yeah, but it's oh. got Yeah, not even a nice Walmart. Is that like all aluminum roofing? Oh, no, shit. it's this weird like insulation polymer bullshit. They they advertised it as glass and gave us that. The field is made out of coconut shells, like rendered coconut shells. Stop. It's, it's so fucking dumb. Oh, but no. Air conditioning. The grill. <laughs> oh, this is bad. Why would they even release this video? What if they, they should have just like did a 3D video of the rendering and be like, it's coming. We're working on it. It, <laughs> it caught fire several months ago while they were building it. So the whole so thing. So did they like run out of material? Disaster. Is that why? I don't know. It's probably some cheap contractor under bid. I think the term you were looking for is uh, before value engineering. It's when the architect creates something gorgeous and beautiful. And then the engineers come in with the developer's budget. And they <laughs> slowly make the materials shittier so they can fit it in. And then the people are just like, this is not what you sold us on, motherfucker. Yeah, that looks bad. Anyway, so that was fun. That made me happy. So uh, every week, uh, we're going to highlight a fun uh, social media um, shit fest. I don't know what to call it. We got to come up with a name for the segment, but I think it's a fun segment. 
Um, so before we get to our topic today, uh, I kind of freaked out uh, earlier this week. I thought I had COVID. Um, I didn't have any of the normal symptoms, but I had a blood in range... your stool. Blood in your stool. No, I had a range of like weird things happening. Uh, the first of which was the main one. I almost shit my pants. <laughs> That's just diarrhea. Yeah, which is like a one of like the first or early symptoms of COVID. Or if like someone who's lactose intolerant has milk. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong with me and I haven't figured it out. But I, for, I, for there was a short period I thought it was COVID because I was also like super tired and fatigued <laughs> for a few days. Like I just like slept all weekend, almost shitting myself constantly. But like I was so fucking lucky because it happened in the bathroom. Oh. So I had like a quick like like I just dived in. You were just hanging. You I was were already right. hanging out in the bathroom. I was already hanging out in the bathroom. Went in, did my business, hopped in the shower. My oh. wife afterward was like, "Why'd you take another shower in the middle of the day?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just, you know, felt like I needed some refreshments. I just needed you know feel." I was just I don't know. I felt super lucky that I was in the right place at the right time. I would have hate to have been in a point with like that happening, and like you know super far away from you know any fucking toilet. I've been there. What? What happened? Yeah, I shat myself. What's the big deal? <laughs> what? No. Yeah. As an adult or as yeah, a Where? It was like the, I think it was my 22nd birthday. What? 22? <gasps> yeah, Brandon, remember that birthday party I had at the, at the big White House where you brought the sword cane? No, but continue. I've had many <laughs> sword canes. Yeah, you know how I used so to have those one. wine and cheese soiree parties in college? And the next morning I wake up to go have lunch with my parents and drive to Waco. And, you know, I'm feeling a little gassy on the drive, but I'd gone to the bathroom before I left. So I was like, well, you know, I'm no, it's, it was like an hour ago that I went to the restroom. Nothing, nothing bad's going to happen here. Yeah, you're fine. Uh, so I get to the parking lot of where we're eating and then I'm like, nope, time to fart before I go inside and eat. And instead shit came out. No. Was it all... <laughs> What'd you do? Did you go to eat? No, you can't. You can't go eat with that. And it was a, it, it, <sighs> you can because you drove 95 miles to get there. Oh my God. And it was a Sunday morning at like 11 and I was walking in with like a crowd, like a literal post church oh, Baptist no. Waco crowd of at least 40 people all dressed in suits and dresses, just like oh, mid forties, fifties, sixties, just head to toe in their Sunday best and they're kind of waddling in like penguins and I'm you, in the middle of this you waddled too. <laughs> my, my ass is just like fully covered in shit and no, no one knows it but me but people are looking around because they can smell it <laughs> you should have just been like hey hey who smells like shit no. around here and so I walk I walk directly to the table where my parents are sitting and my mom jumps up all excited like Billy and I just look at her with the most <laughs> frantic, deranged look. And I just go, Mom, sit down. I just fucking shit myself. The <laughs> Where the fuck is the bathroom? I got to go wipe my ass. My fucking boxers are covered in shit. And my mom just looks at me and she's like, what? And I was like, shut up. Shut the fuck up. I'm covered in shit right now. I got to go find the bathroom. My dad was just like, it's fine. Go find the bathroom. Happens all the time. <laughs> So I go, I go to the bathroom and I go into a stall and, uh, 
there's no toilet paper in the stall. And granted, the restaurant had just opened. So like, what's the first thing you do when you get ready to open? You make sure the fucking bathroom has toilet paper in it. But there were no rolls of toilet paper in the stall. And so I've already dropped my pants and seen the damage and just been like, oh, God. And so I have to pull them back up over me and then waddle out. And there's like six people in this bathroom that just see me kind of like waddle with my pants halfway (laughs) on. And I grab the paper towel roll next to the sink and waddle back in. Did you like throw away your boxers? Oh, Did you God, burn yeah. it? Yeah, you... no, I, I wrapped up my boxers in the paper towel and then just went commando in this semi-shit-stained shorts that I was wearing. Oh, no. And God then, damn, Billy. And then my dad was like, why don't we just go into Walmart and get you some underwear <laughs> in there? <laughs> oh, and then, so I sat through lunch in shitty shorts and then left. And I was like, I don't want to sit on my leather seats on this car with shit shorts. So I had a like white paper China ball lantern that was from the party sitting in the trunk. So I put it, <laughs> I put it on the seat and I sat on this white paper as lantern a barrier. The, yeah, as a barrier. <laughs> and just rode home in shame. Man, I, I, I would have just straight tried to blame somebody. I mean, they're I, all old people, so they probably would have. They would have been like, yeah, it's me. I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to blame Franzia and Kellogg's Pop-Tarts. Oh. Dude, you with the Franzia. I think my favorite memories of you from college, you had the Franzia bag. So for those of you who don't know, Franzia is a type of wine that comes in a box. The wine itself is not loose in a box, obviously, because it would leak. It is inside a plastic bag, and you have a little nozzle it's that you like press, and it comes out. Five so liters. what Billy would do in college is he would remove the bag from the box and just drink out of it as a nozzle and then like pass it around. <laughs> but he had a tradition that went along with it, and it was called Slap the Bag. It wasn't a very clever name, but it was apropos for what he was doing. And everybody so loved being, it. Everybody slapped the bag. Come on. Everybody loved it, I guess. I remember at his house one time, he grabbed the bag and he screamed, slap the bag. <laughs> and like, he's super drunk, slapped it so hard, it burst and shot all over me. I was just completely drenched in shitty box wine. I was too. <laughs> Yeah, but you didn't notice. Yeah, I did. That was the station manager party. So I made you slap the bag being the station manager who went out. And then I slapped the bag and knocked it off. Was that the same party? Did you end up in my trunk? There was one party where you were in my trunk and I drove you somewhere. And you were in the trunk. I don't know. I was in a trunk. I don't remember. Did you roofie me? No. You wanted it. Because it was. Did you say you wanted it? Yeah, you wanted it. Like, I didn't tell you to get in the trunk. You just got in. The and trunk. We're like, All right. So then we closed it. He wanted to be in the trunk. Yeah, not the roofie. No. Yeah, so you you got in the trunk, and you were safe in there. Like, there's like an emergency exit for anyone locked in that trunk. I don't know why Mazda comes standard with a release from inside the trunk. Or maybe it was only in mine. I don't know why they <laughs> sold it to me. They looked at this guy. They're like, Brandon, like, uh, good exit strategy. So, yeah, you drove like a 2005 Mazda Amber Alert was the model of car that you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Has anyone seen a station manager <laughs> with a bag of Franzia? God. So, um, Paula had a long call with her parents, and this kind of leads into today's topic. 
And afterwards, she let me know that her her father, who I have a, a kind of interesting relationship with, uh, the best way I can summarize it is um, she's the only daughter, and at best, I'm like the husband you would want your third daughter to have, <laughs> you know? So there's, you know, I always feel disappointing, but, you know, to a degree, because I, I only care so much. So afterward, after she's done with the call, she let me know that her dad you know, brought me up and I, you know, that made me feel a little bit better, you know, cause he was interested in me, want to know I was okay. I was like, well, what did he say? Did he ask about me? She's like, no, he wanted to let me know that he laughed a lot at the video of you falling off of the ladder that you posted. And I was like, okay, well, anything else? She's like, no, that's, that's it. That's, that's the only time you came up. And I was like, cool. <laughs> he's like, oh, he's, he's still around. eh? he didn't, we should post more videos <laughs> of you falling off shit. Yeah. Do you want to hear a funny story? Um, a time I kind of got caught smoking weed by my parents. No, Wait, but you go haven't ahead. You, you haven't introduced our th our topic yet. Well, I thought this would oh. introduce it. We should talk about. Billy, why don't you yeah. introduce our topic? Yeah. So uh, today's topic was actually last week's topic before you unilaterally changed it and left my dick hanging in a cold <laughs> breeze. Billy, what I realized in post when I was editing the show is that Keisha just needed a way to promote yeah, yeah, her website. Yeah, Skullcandy.com or whatever. No! Drunkskulls.com. Socialskulls.com. Yeah, how's that going for you? I had 30 visitors this month, and I've only been online for 30. Like, How many weeks. of them are related to you? <laughs> They're all me. <laughs> <laughs> I was to say, that's more people than listen to the show. So yeah, today we're talking about uh, something that I'm very interested in Keisha's top five for, which is uh, how were you raised? How did your parents raise you? Um, what impact, uh, positive or negative, did they have on your life? And in what way did they influence you to create a drop shipment business? <laughs> <laughs> Another opportunity, you know though, like to plug my website. Thanks, Billy. Yeah, I'm really rooting for you. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So our topic is about our parents, right? Where were you the last two minutes? Were you not listening? I just. Oh, yeah, yeah, Go yeah. Ahead. Go ahead. No, no, what Billy said. Beautiful reset. The beautiful reset. <laughs> what Billy said, that's the topic. I'm sure he did a great job. I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, given the nature of events that have made 2020 maybe the best year of my life. Uh, we were all kind of talking about like how people are reacting and how shitty people are inherently. And then that came to the topic of how were you raised? You know, how do you think these people who aren't wearing masks and hate black people were raised? <laughs> oh no. Like if you've ever seen the Mississippi state flag, like, you know, what six-year-old incest child drew horizontal and diagonal lines with the stars and bars on it? Like, I just don't understand what happened to these people. Like, did they just get hit as a kid? What, what went you know, wrong? They, they talk about their history and how much it means to them. I bet you they couldn't tell you more than like two or three sentences about the Confederacy and about the war. State like, rats. I think the the people who love the Confederacy the most are the ones who understand history the least. Okay, the Mississippi flag is horrible. Yeah, it's the worst flag. It's like and someone it's, just learned how to use Microsoft Paint. It's it, it's like the, the bad part about it isn't necessarily the fact, I mean, it obviously is the fact that the Confederate flag is like nested in the corner, but it's from a design standpoint, it's maybe one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in isn't my entire life. Isn't it just life. like 
like the flag for France. Yeah, and they then basically a clip art French of flag the like, Confederate hey, flag over let's, it. Let's slap this universal sign of white supremacy on here. That'll be good. And I'm going to go ahead and say, but look, it's not even the same shade of red. They're two different reds. You know, it could be worse. You could peel back the Confederate onion layer and see like a Nazi flag on there. Oh, sure. wait, It'd basically be the same thing. <laughs> I mean, like, so during Reconstruction, like right after the Civil War, all these states did not just immediately come back to the Union. They were territories and they were slowly reestablished as states. Why wasn't there like somebody checking what the fucking flags were? There wasn't a, like, f- a flag auditor? Like, you think their auditor? first draft of the flag was just the Confederate flag? And then the guy's like, mm, no, like, I mean, 30%. Just give me, just just reduce it 30%. You can have 30% Confederate flag, but you got to make it sure it's something else. I think. Confederacy only exists for like four years. Yeah. It did, but the states, like, they didn't just immediately come back into the U.S. They were slowly readmitted and reestablished as states after the confederacy was over so like the first election after the end of the civil war not all southern states were voting because they were not um, re-included in the u.s it's interesting and it's history that you learn in class or in books not on fucking statues it's true does anyone ever actually read this stuff on statues i don't no one fucking reads i fucking hate the fucking argument that it's history where you're gonna lose the history you don't, no one fucking looks at a statue no. to learn hit. That's not how it works. Yeah, yeah. There's no statues of fucking Hitler, but we sure fucking knew, know a lot about him. Right. I mean, There's I've never like, I've never referenced triggered. a statue in my uh, bibliography in any of my uh, <laughs> research papers. So just saying we don't really use it. But what, I, so what I was thinking about the flag is like, I feel like, you know, in, uh, in the office when they were allowed to customize one part of the commercial for sob for saber, it was like mm-hmm. the same thing. It was like, okay, we have to, you get this much of it and you can only customize this part. And everyone's like, well, Confederate flag, Confederate flag. <laughs> Weren't most Confederate monuments created in like the 1920s too. It was like, yeah, the 1910s, the 1910s and then in the twenties, mostly the tens, but yeah, the rise with the Ku Klux Klan, it was just mostly to intimidate uh, blacks who had the audacity to want to vote or, you know, want equal rights. How terrible. I hate everyone. So anyways, those people had parents too, and they did a pretty great job of instilling institutional racism into mm-hmm. those kids. Um, but it's slowly uh, being weeded out, um, trying to figure how to transition this back on topic. So, yeah. So the point, so the thing is, like, we were we were obviously still very much thinking about what's happening in the world, but that did make us kind of think about why we all seem to be on the same side of this argument of, like, Black Lives Matter. Like, and parents suck. Racism is horrible. People need to stop being shitty. But there's still, it, it, it is concerning at what point were other people like nah, I don't know what's wrong with racism and just lead with that the rest of their life see I I don't I, I I'm not trying to give a pass to boomers that are racist here we right? go but I do judge people in our generation who share that same prejudice because you had an opportunity you had an opportunity to live in a somewhat more diverse world, somewhat more diverse. Mm-hmm. You had an opportunity to be exposed to more mindsets and more um, ways of thinking because of the advent of technology. 
and yet you're still close-minded. Because there's a lot of people whose parents were conservative, they grew up conservative, but they're not. Like, because there's so many other tools around them that they grew beyond their parents. So I'm not trying to give a free pass to older racist people, but I have more frustration, I guess, with anyone our age who just doesn't get it. Um, but I do think that most most of us do. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it is laziness, right? I think you're giving a lot of people credit that just because the resources are available, they're going to give a shit about it. I don't think that's the case. I think it's easier for people to just be like, well, this is what my parents have been doing or I've been doing this forever. So that's cool. And like they're kind of living in their own bubble. And, and usually those people surround themselves with people with the exact same mindset and the same yeah, beliefs. Just like this podcast. <laughs> Exactly. You know, the, the big aspects, I think, of this topic, you know, your parents getting older. And as you get older, for a lot of people that's growing, you know, further apart from their parents politically. And like, I know people who are somewhat estranged from their parents because they differ so drastically politically. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because you get past a certain point where you don't feel obligated to vote like your parents vote and think like your parents think. But when things become so polarized, the idea of losing that relationship with them, with the people that birthed you and raised you, is heartbreaking. But it's a reality for a lot of people. I don't, I mean, I, I've definitely had moments like that, even recently with my parents, where we didn't fully agree on stuff or they just decided to bring up something from when they were growing up that they felt like should change my opinion of how they reacted to something that I didn't like. And it's hard to separate like you're my family and this this specific situation is not acceptable. And I think that's that's like the thing I've had to learn how to do growing up that like because you're you reacted in a bad way at the situation, I have to just isolate that and not let that impact the fact that you're still my parents. And not a lot of people can do that. I think it's hard to separate that and, and make sure that it doesn't change your overall opinion of them unless it becomes very, uh, what's the word, like destructive in the relationship. And even if it's like if you have kids and they're imposing those beliefs that are obviously incorrect onto your kids and yeah, that becomes a bigger conversation. But right now I'm lucky that it's just like, eh, wouldn't say that in public or eh, maybe phrase that differently. And that's the extent of it. One addition to that thought, though, is that the generational thing I feel like always comes up. But in the things that I've noticed more is that generations are just kind of random years, right? Like someone says like, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times they're based around like big historical milestones. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like the 25 years or whatever afterwards, I mean, a lot of other shit happened in that 25 years that would influence those people. I feel like maybe regions, maybe just as much uh, of something to blame um, regional culture as opposed sure. to uh, a, a specific age bracket. But the one thing that I feel like is really, really strange about the boomer thing is the boomers were like counterculture, right? Like these are the people that were born in like the fifties and then became hippies in the sixties and were like these complete leftists. And now we all see them as these big Trump voters or make America great again, people or or whatever, like this weird, like, the, the political alignment, it just doesn't really make sense on a generational level to me as much as it does on a regional level to me. It's like the South is always red, right? Mm -hmm. if, are, are, are boomers the same in the Northeast, like in Maine? 
as they are in Texas, I don't know that that argument could be made. I mean, anytime we talk about an entire generation, there's always going to be exceptions. So it's tough to, I mean, with anything, it's tough to generalize anything. But I'm just saying po politics have been regional for a hundred years, I feel like. Yeah. So maybe that's more to do than the generation. That's just one thought that I have mm. been kind of stuck on for a little while. But the other thing that's interesting is, <laughs> and, and we talked about science earlier, our generation seems to be the generation that is completely like terrified of being wrong. So, so it's like, we always defer on stuff that we haven't looked into. It's just like, Oh, I don't know. I'm not an expert on it. I have no opinion on it, but, <laughs> but that's the way it should be. But, but there's like, but, but yeah, it's this like specialist thought process. It's like, but I'm going to fucking read the shit out of this one thing. And if you disagree with yeah. me, because the amount of time that I've invested in it, fuck you burn alive. Yeah. Like, that's, it's yeah. this weird non-compromise model that we've created where everybody is wrong except for us if we have an opinion. And if we don't feel educated enough, we completely withhold our opinion. But I also, one thing that bugs the shit out of me is that like sometimes you get into these conversations with people and instead of just like having a conversation, they feel the need to have to like pull out their phone and like have to Google everything in the middle of the conversation to try to prove a point. And so instead of like actually just having the discussion, they would rather be having like they can they'd rather cite the actual thing and say that they're right instead of just actually just no, talking I, to I, you, though. Like I've I hate done that. I mean, if someone's fucking wrong. Well, that's wrong. yeah, but that's it's, one it's, thing, though. But like every time that's frustrating. We'll be right. But I can Google shit, too. Yeah, then Google it and it's fine. Like, I've, so we're I've just, done that. We're I've just done out, it to a boomer. But we're just out Googling each other at this point. We're just better at typing faster. I don't care. If somebody if somebody Googles something and corrects me, I say thank you. I don't care. My feelings aren't hurt when I'm wrong about something because no one's going to be right about everything. That's my issue with the boomer generation because I think they grew up in a time where America was the only superpower. It was the only country that wasn't rebuilding after the major war. And they made that superiority at that time for America a part of their identity. Like we cannot, there's no way we are going to be able to shift over to the metric system because the boomer generation associates the American, the imperial system with some aspect of American pride, which yeah. makes no sense. We're talking about what is the most practical matter. Okay. So for me, it's like that the may way be the silent generation, though, right? I mean, if you're talking about the age of decision making immediately after the war, the boomers were kids. They weren't making it. Yeah, no, decisions. no, no. What I'm saying, no, not the decisions they made, but they grew up in that period where America was the best. Not because we were intrinsically the best, but because we weren't torn apart by war. So that's the whole point of today's session is because every generation hates the generation before right. them. And they blame, they we blame the boomers for the way that the silent generation raised the boomers. But we don't actually blame the silent generation. We, we blame the effect, not the cause. So when we're grandparents, our fucking grandchildren are going to blame our our kids for our problems it's mm -hmm. gonna be this for, for what thing. we did right we'll see i i don't know like i i just think i i think that people now like i don't know if it's because we grew up with television to such an incredible degree like we we you have to remember cable mm -hmm. is something that just came up in the 1980s you know and and for us it was you know it's just part of life like oh yeah you, there's like a hundred channels you know like 
so we had like so many different cultural influences at such a young early and the age. internet and the internet um later on um a little bit different from gen z now but like i i don't know i i have faith in our generation and in gen z and in a few gen xers like six of them <laughs> We prioritize the right things, that we care about the right things, um, and we're less selfish. But um, maybe maybe Billy's right. Maybe I am just a product of the blame the previous generation. I don't know. Probably. No, it's, it's because you're a part of the whole implicit bias thing where we all right. just back each other's opinions up over and over again and make ourselves feel ultra justified instead of actually diversifying. The thing that you praise us for is like our acceptance of diversity, but no one goes out and actually tries to sit down and listen to differing opinions and values. So. I do. I'm on message boards. I listen. He's on Reddit. Yeah, you really, <laughs> your uh, cyberbullying story really proved how well you listen. <laughs> what? what? For the fucking, the spammer? Dude, David Fuck S. Pixley, that. I want a jersey. You I want should like meet a, him. A t-shirt. A baseball jersey. You're president of the fan club. Have I sent you guys pictures of him? They're pretty funny. We've, has, we've like, seen Facebook your memes. Of him, like, with, like. $20 bills like all over his bed and stuff. It's pretty So fun. I do have one thing to point out though. I think it's interesting that you talked about like there's this level of patriotism that uh, is it the boomer generation or the one before where it's like they don't want to do things that feels unpatriotic. Like that's jingoism, like, I believe. Like not going to <laughs> uh not going to the metric system because that feels un like un-American, right? Yeah. There is a flip side to that where I that I actually see in my parents when they first came to the United States, where it was like, we're just happy to be here and we don't want to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to have strong beliefs about anything that everyone is against, like whatever the the, the status quo is like, we just want to be that. And it's like this whole thing of like, we just we just we it's like we're we're uh, we owe it to America for letting us be here. And it's like a thing that's that's lasted over 20 years and it's like even now we're having and they're citizens now they right? are like they're not they're not going to get sent back to the philippines and my mom was but born it's internalized in into them yeah it's just like they feel this guilt or like this like mm -hmm. i i owe my life to be to america and it's like they're afraid to have opinions they're afraid to be like outspoken about stuff because they think it's it's going against this whole thing and it's, it's all internalized in that fear of like they're going to get sent back what's crazy is that your father is a, a pediatrician in an area that is vastly underrepresented with medical assistance. Mm -hmm. um, for, I'm sure for those people who know a lot more than we do about healthcare in this country, one of the biggest issues is the lack of healthcare in rural areas because it's just financially so difficult. And that is a huge need that he is fulfilling, but yet he still has that. Would you call it guilt? It's a little bit of guilt or like a, it's like whatever the opposite of entitlement is. Right. Like, right. So let's back up because um, I think this is a good um, transition point here. Um, try to understand where we're all coming from. So Keisha, both of your parents are immigrants. Uh, your father's from the Philippines. Your mother's from uh, China? No. Or so she's she, half Filipino, half Chinese? Yeah, she's half Filipino, half Chinese, and a little bit of Spanish. My dad is full-on Filipino. My dad was born in the Philippines. My mom, though, was born in Guam. So she was technically, like, she's technically an American citizen. Uh, so, Billy, you're on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, both your parents what does that are mean? multiple generation Americans, right? Now, my grandmother was born in Ireland. Okay, but your parents were 
were born here. Yeah, but you just said multiple generation Americans. Okay, well, that was fucking wrong. My, All right. My grandmother was an illegal immigrant. She illegally immigrated through Canada. So, yeah. Don't I'm, illegal immigrant brag. I'm a white illegal immigrant. So I'm a mix between you guys. My mother is a Cajun and her family comes from France and somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I know her dad comes from France. I don't know where her mother's family comes from, but uh, the Acadians or so maybe Canada. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and my dad's from Iran. So I have uh, one immigrant and one American. Yeah, I'm about as white as it gets. <laughs> I did the uh, um, God. Well. It's not 23 and me. What's the other one? Ancestry. Uh, Ancestry? Yeah. So, so I did Ancestry and it was like 95% Great British Isles. Like either <laughs> it was like Normandy, France, UK, England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland. And it was mainly Ireland. And then there was Lord. like, I think the other small remainder was Scandinavian. So I'm about as white as you can humanly be. They're like the other white countries. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to do with it. I'm just so I, I, I have a funny story about the ancestry thing. So I did one a year ago, and it came, the first like round of results came back like expected. So it's like sixty percent Filipino, thirty three percent Chinese, and it was like one percent Sardinian. And I was what like, is Sardinian. I was like, is that where sardines, like, is that where sardines come from? It's like this part in like, I think it's either Spain or I think it's Spain or Italy, whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, shouldn't, it wouldn't be Filipino, right? It would be, well, partially native Filipinos, but also Spanish. Well, here's the, the thing. Because the Spanish colonized the Filipinos. I, I saw the results. I was like, this is me. I'm Sardinian. I'm going to represent my people. I was like looking up the history. I looked at islands. I looked at the flag. I'm like, this is my people. This is who I am. And then, Did you change your no, Instagram no. bio and put the Sardinian flag in and it? And then Ancestry.com emails me like a week later. They're like, hey, we, fa- we, we got more <laughs> information. You're not 1% Sardinian. You're 1% Spanish. And I was like, well, <laughs> shit. Did you say this are Sardinian? There's a grammatical error in there that made me think you actually may be Sardinian. No. <laughs> so, yeah. So growing up for me was was a bit tough because there was, you know, the whole different cultures to deal with. You know, um, I spent a lot of time with my mother's family, who was extremely white, conservative and in Louisiana, rural Louisiana. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about seeing the kind of segregation they have there, the kind of like lines between where black people live and white people live, you know, um, or various racist jokes that you pick up, you know, while you're Mm -hmm. in the ether there is like a part of the culture versus in, you know, coming back into Houston where we were hanging out with more Iranian people, Iranian families. So it was, it was difficult to understand what is right. Um, but the one thing that was consistent was that I feel like my parents never believed me about everything. That's because you were a liar. I would lie to my parents because I was like afraid of my mom because she was like, you know, the, the disciplined parent and my dad was the not disciplined parent. Um, but even my dad, like I remember, you know, as a kid, you, you don't, you know, you'll be honest about stuff. You have no shame. You're a kid. So I was in junior high or high school and I had some weights and, um, I was like doing my weights and I was like, Oh, time to go brush my teeth before bed. So I go to the bathroom, put the weight down, 
on um, the sink and I'm brushing my teeth. And when I turn to like get the towel, my hand hits the weight. So it rolls off the bathroom counter into the toilet, breaks the bottom of the toilet, like goes through it. All the water like rushes to the ground. And then like my dad comes running. He's like knocking the door and I like open it. And he's like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. I just like accidentally hit it and it rolled off. And he's like, you were working out while peeing, (laughs) weren't you? I was like, no, I wasn't. But like, that's the story he told to all of his work friends. So if you find there's like a, a law firm in Houston where everybody knows the guy whose son like works out while peeing. Well, your dad me. knew good content and the working out while peeing story <laughs> is way better than the actual story. So I said that story to try to get us on track because I know that I'm doing my best to get us off track here. In terms of like growing up with your parents, I think one of the biggest, most important moments is leaving the nest. Um, so when I went to college, I was the only kid. My parents were kind of done raising me and they were kind of left to kind of deal with each other. So they were divorced within a year <laughs> or within two years. And um, it was one of those things that I didn't think was a surprise and I thought was a good thing for them. And, you know, one thing that I learned after that happened is it's actually pretty common when parents lose their kids, like they all go, you know, leave the house and you have to deal with each other. That's one of like the big prime, like, you know, times you see Hmm. divorce. So since then I've been dealing with divorced parents, which is a whole other monster in its own. So what happened when you guys left the nest? So I was like in peak rebellion phase when I graduated high school. And so I just, one, I like, we didn't have money. So we, I couldn't apply for a bunch of colleges because my mom was like, well, each application is like $50. And so don't apply to colleges. You're not going to get in because you don't (laughs) want to waste our money. (laughs) They were right. And so I was like, well, shit, I'm not going to get in anywhere. So I was like, well, I know for sure I'll get into culinary school. So I went to culinary school and I moved to Austin. But like when I left, they still had my brother and sister to take care of. And so it wasn't a big change for them that I wasn't around. It was more of just like the little things that I helped take care of, like getting my brother and sister dressed for school and getting their lunch ready. But beyond that, like I do realize now that my because I wasn't around, my brother and sister both had a lot more freedoms growing up than I did because my parents were just like, fuck it. Like, I'm good. They're fine. What about you, Billy? So when I left the nest, I was by far the youngest. My brother is 16 years older than me. And then my sisters are 14 years and about five years older than me. So my dad was born in 1943. My mom was born in 1950. When I left the nest, uh, almost immediately afterwards, my dad got cancer, uh, which... uh, Oh, man. I mean, they just kept on working and, but that kind of like galvanized the family a little bit. And then also, uh, you know, he beat cancer actually twice. Um, so spoiler alert, he's still alive, haunting me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, I, you know, my parents kind of mellowed out. I think when you go through, you know, radiation and cancer treatment and other stuff, it just kind of slows down the fire in you a little bit um so everything when i left and came back everything was definitely cooler calmer you know the joke that maggie and i have is you know we were raised 
the same way in a lot of ways, but you know, my house was this loud, boisterous, just like everything is crazy and all the time and her family's not, but the, like lately things have kind of mellowed out versus when I was raised, it was just everybody was yelling and screaming all the time. <laughs> that's, that's cool though that your parents mellowed out after the whole cancer experience. Uh, my parents did not. Uh, my dad went through cancer um, when he uh, was in his, probably his late thirties when I was, you know, pretty young. And, um, they, they, there was no mellowing afterward. I mean, he was okay, but I don't think it was as, he didn't go through chemo, uh, or anything. So it wasn't as, uh, traumatic as, uh, as what your father went through. But, uh, I do wish it was a little bit more, uh, transformative for my parents like it was for yours. <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting cause I'm at the phase where, you know, in a lot of ways, it's getting to that transition and age where I'm going to be taking care of my parents soon. So mm -hmm. I'm at a very different mm -hmm. uh, kind of realization of, you know, seeing kind of the decline, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's been other than the fact that we completely disagree on most philosophy in life, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I think that's normal. Um, but I mean, at least you guys can still have a relationship and disagree. Well, one time I yelled at them in a restaurant and walked out about <laughs> like eight weeks ago, and I just cursed them out in front of my wife and paid for the bill just to like one up them and just walked out. So <laughs> it's, it's not and perfect. I left a $100 tip, motherfucker. Yeah, deal with that. Yeah, no, I get it. I, fall, I, I don't know why, but your Facebook shows me your mother's uh, f Facebook uh, posts. So I get, I get why you would, you would get a little, little triggered from that. Clicking on them. Stop. Clicking I'm not my mom. Maybe, but when I see them, they're just so like, oh. don't like them. It's messing up the algorithm. I'm not liking them, but it knows when I'm triggered. Oh my God. Yeah, so the whole uh, Christian nationalism thing. I think, um, one thing that I think my parents have ev kind of chilled out a little bit I think both my parents just got to a point where they realized that it doesn't matter what they tell us. We're going to do whatever we want. And they would rather have us call them and tell them what we're doing than not call them for a long time because we just keep getting yelled at whenever we do talk to them. And that was a big transition <laughs> for my parents because my mom used to call when I would call my mom, she would be like, well, why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing that. And then after a while, I'm just like, oh, wait, I don't have to call you. I live yeah. in Rhode Island. Like I, we don't have to talk to each other until Christmas if that's the case. And it's shitty now that I think about it, like it's shitty to, to hold that over your parents, but that was critical in balancing the relationship between us as like a, like a, from a parent to child and as adults like that we had to, I had to set that boundary and stick with it. And it kind of felt shitty sometimes, but it's, it's helped now. No, I think every child at some point has to stand up to their parent because I think no matter how good parents are and how well-intentioned they are, I think over time when you have someone that's just constantly submitting to your will, your judgment gets bad. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why I think, you know, a dictator may start as a good ruler, but then without any kind of opposition, you know, they, they become bad. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Um, so I love my mother now. She's, she's, you know, the greatest woman I know. Um, but we butted heads a lot. What about your wife? Uh, dude, I'm just throwing my mom a bone here. Don't, don't, don't mess with this. Yeah, you're really undercutting Paula. Paula, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I love you. But there was, there was one point where I, I guess I kind of, I stood up to her and uh, we were in Iran 
Um, that's where my dad's family was from, and it was our first time there. And we had a disagreement about something, as children will disagree with their parents. And I guess I was kind of trained to always apologize. You're always, you know, the, you'll only have one mother. You'll always have one father. So no matter what, say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. And then I was just kind of like, you know what? Like, I'm fine here. I don't, I'm not going to do that. And if I'm going to be alone in this experience in this other country, then, then, then that's fine. Um, and then it kind of got her to think about the situation. I, I don't even know what we were arguing about, but then she wrote me a letter mm-hmm. that I found that she left for me because I don't think she could have like a face-to-face conversation and acknowledging, I guess, my side of it. And, and you know, we, we worked it out. Mm-hmm. I think it, it kind of forced her to look at it from another perspective because all of a sudden, I guess I realized, like, fine, if if this is it, then you can be like this. I'll just do my own thing. And I think that kind of forces parents. And uh, I feel terrible saying this because I'm not a parent yet. And I, I know that I'll make the same mistakes. Right. Um, but um, I, I do think it's important for every child at some point to stand up to their parents because, you know, your parents are not going to be right about everything. And, and, and sometimes, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about standing up for what you think is right. So when did you look at like your, I don't know, for lack of a better word, rearing and kind of figure out, like, just create a list. Like, what did my parents raise me like to value and what values did I come upon later in life that they definitely did not instill in me? Oh, man. (sighs) Are you asking like when or what these things are? What? I'm very curious because like, I, I think, uh, you know, there's obvious cultural differences between the three of us as well, but uh, I, I know what it was for Keisha, as long as, as a value can be being a doctor, right. <laughs> or a lawyer or a nurse. Those are the three options. And you went to culinary school. So that yeah. must've gone really well. It was horrible. That was a huge, like what I do for work now, my parents, I think they vaguely understand but it is one of those things where it took a while for them to just be okay with it. All, all they do now is like, well, she has a roof. Somehow she has money. We don't know where it comes from. She has, <laughs> she has someone that pays her for things. Hey, so she cashed okay that check, so she has money coming in. So we're okay with it. But it Maybe took a from... really long time not to, to, to be like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be a nurse. I'm not going to go into the medical field. I'm going to make and weapons. I'm going to make weapons. I'm going <laughs> to drop ship. Skull collection. I'm going to drop their shit out of drop shipping. Like this is just my life. And you know, for a long time, that was a really tough conversation with my parents and they would bring up other people's kids. They were like, Hey, did you see so-and-so got into med school or so-and-so is a nurse and they're making this much money. What are you? Oh, you're, you're working as a sous chef. Okay. That's nice. But I think part of that is like immigrant <laughs> culture to some extent, like you come from another country and you're always comparing yourself to people. Of who are course, in it is, especially if you're Asian. It was like my parents were like, it's the there's a level of guilt that they were putting on me, too. And to be fair, like I get it because I know how difficult it is to come to the States, especially from the Philippines. And so it was like we brought you to America like you need to like get this, the most out of you out of like this whole experience as you can. So be like a fucking doctor. So like success. whatever is higher than a, a doctor. Yeah. 
like make the shit out of all the money you can make. And I'm like, I want to get in marketing. I want to be in sports. And they're like, no. Whereas my parents were like, follow your dreams, do something you love. Which there was no following of the dream. No one, I never, at any point in my life growing up, my parents were never like, Keisha, what is your soul? What does your heart tell you? What do you want to do? It was always like, you have to do this. You have to do this. Anything else is going to be really hard. I want and to I'm design like, oh. a morning star and stab somebody with it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I don't, I think the only value that I took from my parents, or at least the one that's most prominent is just the importance of hard work. And I think that I wouldn't say that it's intimidating, but I'll always feel from now till when I die that I, I have never worked as hard as both my parents have. Yeah. Um, like my father went to school for two different professions, uh, was working, um, you know, from job to job, working his way up, um, you know, uh, in, in computer programming and then in management and stuff. And my mom was working in, uh, at a lot of different law firms. And this was before me too. This is before sexual harassment was like such a big thing. And, you know, she did that and he did that so we could have a better life and I could have a better life. And I would see how hard they would work, how late they would work, because I was a daycare kid and I could do a whole podcast on fucking daycare. And, you know, the reason for that was because both my parents were working and they were working late and working hard and stressed, but they wanted the best for me. And the thing that they stressed more than anything else was you need to go to college and you need to get a degree. And luckily they didn't Mm -hmm. care what that degree was because I ended up majoring in film. I guess unlucky for me, I wish they would have kept me in engineering. (laughs) But they really did instill. (laughs) Hard work and education. Yeah, they really did instill, you know, hard work, especially because my mom, for a, uh, there was a point where she stopped working and then she went back after a period just so like, you know, we could have the extra stuff we wanted, including a car for me, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's hard to look back on that. And I'll always feel inferior, especially, you know, when I think about my dad's immigrant story coming from Iran, you know, um, he was in a, an accident when he was uh, 17, a car accident that killed his cousin. And he was in the back of a truck that was going crazy. And uh, the, his cousin was driving and was drunk and they hit the side of a bridge and he flew out of the truck over the bridge, broke his leg on the side of the bridge and then broke his leg in another place on like this long pipe that went across the creek and then was just on the bank of the creek until somebody rescued them. And he was in the hospital for a year. Jeez. How old was he? 17 or 18. And um, so that experience, um, mostly because it meant he could no longer join the Air Force, really prompted him to move to the United States. Wow. And uh, if that wouldn't have happened, he likely would have died in the Iran-Iraq war in the 80s. It was like a six-year war, eight-year war, very bloody. Yeah. So he's going to the United States, and he connects through Chicago. Chicago is, for those of us who are from the South, is not the friendliest place. Um, Not that people are assholes, but it's just you don't, you're not ingrained with this thing. Oh, you need to be really polite to strangers. So he was waiting for his flight to Louisiana is where his college that he was going to in the United States was. And uh, he wanted a beer. So he goes to the bartender. He says, I want a beer. 
bartender probably asked him like you know do you want uh, an ale or you know some specific and my dad didn't know english he just said i want a beer and he kept repeating it and then the bartender and other people in the bar started laughing at him and all he wanted to do was to turn around and go back home mm -hmm. but he didn't have enough money to buy a ticket home so he was stuck yeah and you know he goes to uh lsu and then uh usl and and gets a degree and is supporting a family in Houston while we're living a tr in a trailer on my grandparents' property in Louisiana. And um, he just keeps working his way up and, and to get to the point where he's in a management. And to me, it's like, this guy didn't speak a word of the language and now he's managing, which isn't even a skill. Yeah. It's just dealing with people and projects. Right. So That's a skill, soft skill. Sure. And then, you know, and again, like I said before with my mom, who was always working hard, working for assholes, it's mm -hmm. just, I will always feel inferior to them when it comes to work ethic, but that is something that I understand that is important and, yeah. you know, something that, that stays with me. I do remember that very much. Like, it's a big part of growing up is seeing how hard my parents work. It's like you you don't even know how to be grateful at that age. You don't. Right? Because at that age, you're still a kid. You still think your parents suck. I just want to get on AIM and talk to random boys on the internet. And you want me to do my homework so I can get into med school. Like, I don't understand that. But now you look back on it and you're like, shit, they were 23, 24 when they had us. My parents were young. And you expect they came to the United States. My mom gave up her career so my dad could be a doctor. My mom had no friends. I didn't know English. Like my mom used to work for like the first lady. Keisha, of the I don't want to break it to you, but your, your English today yeah. isn't great. <laughs> it, you don't have an incredible command. Of English. <laughs> I think in the last episode you said you couldn't read. I said I could read. I wanted to reaffirm that I could read. But yeah, I mean, the work ethic thing, that is one thing that I learned a lot from my parents. And it's it's like I remember I used to complain about how hard my workday was. And they were like, well, just suck it up. Like. You're in America. You're better off than everyone else in the Philippines that we knew who have spent 20 years even trying to get a petition to come to the Amer to the States. And it was like, well, I just don't want to do algebra. Like, <laughs> it doesn't have to be this big thing. <laughs> but, you know, that's like the 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 extent of it. So we, we weren't even really allowed to complain. And I think that is part of the whole guilt situation, but also just puts things in perspective on how hard you have to work and how hard they've had to work. Did your parents get here through a lottery system? No, my well, they lucked out because my mom was was born in like your U.S. territory. So that was oh, okay. easier. But the goal, I mean, I don't know if this is the case for all immigrants, but for the for people in the Philippines, the goal is someone in your family to come to the States. And that's like your way in to get petitions for all the rest of your family to come in. Oh, I've heard this. I've heard Donald Trump talk about this. It's called chain migration. It's how he got Melania's family in here and then exactly. how he's trying to stop it. Yeah. And there's that guilt that, that again, it's this whole I think it's just like an Asian thing. Like we're all super guilty about everything. And it's like that family sometimes tells us, you know, they we're we're so much well off here. We should send them stuff or we should try harder to get them to the States. And it's like my parents are already trying to survive and like have this family and build this like our own kind of legacy here. But you're still like a part of you is back there. And it's like, well, why aren't you doing anything for them? And that's I'm a hard sure thing to it's balance. The same way with like, you know, African countries or like, you know, Eastern European countries. It's like you've made it if you, you come came from to the a, States. If you come from a lower 
I mean, if you come from a poorer background or something right. like that, to be frank. Well, part of it is just, I think it's natural because it's just so difficult to get here to begin with. Like my dad would go, um, he lived in a, he lived in a, his family's from a city called Karaj is probably 45 minutes from the capital city, Tehran. So back when they had an embassy, United States had an embassy in Iran, he would put on like a suit, go there, apply, get rejected, mm-hmm. put on a suit, go there, apply, get rejected. and then. One day he happened to be in Tehran and he happened to have his materials with him. So he's just like, fuck it. I'll give it a shot. And then for whatever reason, they just stamped everything and said, okay. And he was on a, a flight uh, just a couple days later. And then like a year after that, the hostages took the embassy and that was it. Sorry. I know this isn't about immigrants, but it's hard as, as the child of an immigrant and mm-hmm. Keisha, the child of two immigrants, it's... It, you know, it's, it's difficult when you're trying to define your own reality because that is always chasing you. Yeah. Well, uh, I can uh, weigh in from the non-immigrant <laughs> upper middle class white perspective, if that helps. But I mean, both my parents went through like tremendous hardship. My mom's dad died when she was 13, basically grew up poor in Louisiana with a school teacher mom. Ooh. And uh, my dad was a preacher's kid with five kids and his mom had tuberculosis and was in a sanatorium most of the time that he grew up. And so he just basically bounced all around the United States, uh, shoe strapped to some Southern Baptist fundamentalist preacher with no mom. And then the kids were split up. The younger kids lived with grandparents. So like he had five siblings and he only knew like two of them. Um, And he worked his way through college. His, His dad dropped him off and just said, good luck. That was like the last thing that he said. So he paid his way through college and through med school. And he, you know, did the military route to get his college paid for Mm -hmm. during Vietnam. My mom was, uh, you know, basically a (laughs) fatherless salutatorian mathematician whiz. Um, (laughs) So luckily my parents were smart, but uh, Mm -hmm. they were basically self-made. Yeah, I definitely didn't grow up with the same perspective on like success being the most important thing. I grew up in that uh, super southern christian household so like everything was framed around religion i think i mm-hmm. said in the last podcast or maybe two ago that i went to church three times a week Jeez. and so i jesus just, christ i don't know exactly jesus christ <laughs> is actually accurate in the situation we actually I, changed churches we changed religions we went from being catholic to being methodist because the methodist church was closer to our house nice very nice. <laughs> I grew up thinking that Catholics weren't Christian. I grew up in that like super strict Protestant, like, oh, Catholics, they're not Christian. Don't listen. Uh, Southern Baptist, super dome church, whatever. And uh, like when I talk to people who didn't grow up religious, I'm like, so how did you learn about right and wrong? Because like everything that I learned as a kid when I was like three and I was learning like these black and white lessons about like you know, what is a good person? What is a bad person? It was always framed around these old Testament stories, Jesus like, and Satan. Yeah. I mean, literally it was just like Bible stories. Like that's yep. how I was raised to learn morality. And I'm like, if you didn't grow up religious, how did you stories, know what stories who told you? you? <laughs> so, so we talked about, you know, how, our parents raised us where, uh, where did you, uh, feel like your parents maybe neglected something that you feel like is important to you now? So like, for for instance, I never learned to cook ever. I never had anybody teach me anything about like 
cooking habits because my mom was allergic to everything and they worked mm. and they never cooked. We ate out almost every meal. So like that's a I life skill. <laughs> zero cooking skills until after college <laughs> when I started getting America's Test Kitchen books. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think for me, it was probably budgeting. Mm. And I think it's partly because um, more so my mom um, really ingrained to me that you never talk about money with anyone ever, ever. And that's still true to me today. Uh. Like, and, and I know it's tough because I do think that is part of the, the bullshit that corporations program into their employees. So they don't understand like, you know, how much they're making or how little they're making, but it's so ingrained in, in my mind. Uh, we never talked about money. It was just one of those things that was taboo. I think I think Dave Chappelle is a great joke about that. And he would talk about how he was talking to his white friend. And I don't know if it's a white thing, but he'd be like, you know, talking about what he made last year. And he was like, whoa, 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 that's too personal. And then he'd go back to telling Dave a story about how he was fucking his wife in the ass, <laughs> which was not personal, I guess. But talking about money, that is. So I, I think maybe <laughs> not talking enough about money might be might be my thing. Keish? Oh, I would say anything that has to do with relationships like uh, i i think like i i saw gender roles very much so between my parents and it changed halfway through when i became a teenager but growing up i very much remember my mom giving up everything in her career to come to the states to help my dad be a doctor make dinner iron his clothes and he my dad would literally just come in eat dinner hang out with us for about an hour or so and then he just goes to bed and so I was like, oh, is that how, why am I going to call? Like, why do I need to go to school then? If I have, to, like, you're telling me to go to college and be a doctor and be all this stuff. How am I going to have time to do the whole other thing that you're doing for dad? Like, if I ever have a husband, like, how am I going to make dinner, raise my kids, iron his clothes, do laundry, but also still have a full-time job? That was such a conflict for me growing up. And then it, it was like, my mom just never, my mom and I never talked about it until we got older. And then it became very clear that it was like a choice. Like she made that choice. But then the funny thing is now that the kids are not in the house and it's just my mom and dad and there's no one else to take care of. My mom is very much like, well, I don't know what you're going to eat for dinner. I already ate. So, you know what I mean? Like she becomes this like independent woman again. And my dad's just kind of like someone she hangs out with while we're gone. <laughs> well, we went a little long on this one. So... Join us next week for part two of parenting and generations and whatever the hell we called this episode. Make sure to check out our sister podcasts. Tell them who you are and 90 Day Soiree if you like some 90 Day Fiance. Bye.